talking about business growth, mm-hmm. both to do with Lunar Works and to do with clients that we've helped in the past. Yep. It might might be worth actually you mentioning that you did a presentation for the Kemp Foundation. Yes. What yeah. did you do there? Um, we, we became members of the Kemp Foundation last year. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. Because we, we met them over at um, the LinkedIn event, didn't we? And then got set up with a, a mentor locally who's really great. And Kemp Foundation approached us sort of towards the end of last year and said, we're putting on an event to talk about um, sort of digital marketing that they were hoping to, so they wanted to get their members along to just sort of learn a bit, basically. So we took up the website and SEO talk. So they had some guys talking about social media marketing. Uh, that was JK online. Mm. And then they had uh, Pip from Digital Beans talking about paid advertising, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, so we covered website and SEO, which was, was quite nice to just try to give people a bit of an insight into how to position their sort of small business website in the market, really, and sort of understand what things they need to be looking at, give them a few sort of tips and tricks and tools to look at. You gave them a few pointers, actually, on how Google actually reads websites yeah. and what Google is actually looking for. Yes. When. Yeah, I think it's really important that people understand a little bit about that. Mm. Otherwise, you're kind of flying blind a bit. The key takeaway I took from, from your presentation was that if you go back 10 years, Google was reading websites very clinically. Yeah. And now if you look at it today, you were heavily emphasizing during your presentation about writing human language. Yeah. So not trying to cheat the system yeah. by constantly mentioning keywords that pertain to your business, but actually answering questions that real people will have. Yeah, I think I sort okay. of, I took a bit of a, a wedding theme, didn't I? Mm. For some of the examples I used. So sort of how much do wedding flowers cost? That's right. Who's the best local wedding florist? Those sort of things that people are looking for, yeah. And I think you you picked a really good example with a wedding photographer mm-hmm. who you could argue the website looked very you know, minimal and basic. You know, yeah. It wasn't very glossy or anything like that. But the blog posts that this photographer was publishing were, were actually question and answer based yes. yeah. posts. Yeah, he framed them in a really clever way. So instead of just saying oh, you know, I did a a photo shoot for this couple. Here's the photos, like a lot of sort of photographers tend to do on their websites because for them it's all about imagery, right? He actually kind of sat down and had an interview Q&A with the couple he was photographing. So he was asking them questions like, how did you meet? Asked them about their wedding plans and all that kind of stuff so that when he actually then put up the blog post, it contained all of that information, which then framed his work. And it, and that worked on two levels. Yeah. So Google's liking that because it's addressing questions yeah. that real world people will have. Definitely. And it's delivering this information to visitors to the website in a creative and novel way rather than just having a Q&A section, yeah. which is still a perfectly valid thing to do. Yeah. But this uh, this photographer thought, how can I actually deliver this information in, an, in a creative way? Yeah. And also because the blog posts were dated you got yes. accurate information yeah. and Google's going to recognise that. Definitely, yeah. It's quite quite scary how, how Google's grown and search engines have grown in general over the last few years, sort of coming back to that point about the human side of it. Yeah, if you go back a few years, it was all about sort of, you know, building websites for for bots so that you could get found. And it's totally flipped now to being as personal as possible. Mm. The scary underlying thing there is that 
you know, these search engines are now intelligent enough to visit websites like people and understand them and interpret them, the language like people, mm. which is uh, quite, quite interesting. There's more focus around website content now. It's, it's yeah. about sort of people putting more meaningful, real content out there rather than just kind of noise. Yeah, we, um, I think we've had first-hand experience where we worked for a previous agency that wanted to market itself based on the number of pages your website would have. Back then, that was still when Google's algorithm, the bots that they were using was still recognizing page numbers as a validation. Number of pages is now irrelevant. It's the, the richness yes. of the content. How meaningful and valuable that content is. Yeah, definitely. So just repeating the words, like for, if you're saying photographer, you say creative uh, wedding photographer. If you repeat that throughout your website, this, there's only so much that is going to achieve yep. until Google will then recognize, hang on a minute, this doesn't read like it's been written by a human. Yeah, just because just you're saying it, it doesn't mean it's <laughs> right or, or useful. And I think you... You picked a really good example with a wedding photographer mm -hmm. who you could argue the website looked very you know, minimal and basic. It yeah. wasn't very glossy or anything like that. But the blog posts that this photographer was publishing were, were actually question and answer based yes. yeah. posts. Yeah, he framed them in a really clever way. So instead of just saying, oh, you know, I did a, a photo shoot for this couple here's the photos like a lot of sort of photographers tend to do on their websites because for them it's all about imagery right he actually kind of sat down and had an interview Q&A with the couple he was photographing so he was asking them questions like how did you meet ask them about their wedding plans and all that kind of stuff so that when he actually then put up the blog post it contained all that information which then framed his work and it and that worked on two levels yeah so Google's liking that because it's addressing questions yep. that real world people will have. Definitely. And it's delivering this information to visitors to the website in a creative and novel way, rather than just having a Q&A section, yep. which is still a perfectly valid thing to do. Yeah. But this, uh, this photographer thought, how can I actually deliver this information in, an, in a creative way? Yeah. And also because the blog posts were dated, you got yes. accurate information. Yeah. And Google's going to recognize that. Definitely, yeah. It's quite quite scary how, how Google's grown and search engines have grown in general over the last few years, sort of coming back to that point about the human side of it. Yeah, if you go back a few years, it was all about sort of, you know, building websites for for bots so that you could get found. And it's totally flipped now to being as personal as possible. Mm. The scary underlying thing there is that, you know, these search engines are now intelligent enough to visit websites like people and understand them and interpret them, the language like people, mm. which is uh, quite, quite interesting. There's more focus around website content now. It's, it's yeah. about sort of people putting more meaningful, real content out there rather than just kind of noise. Yeah, we, um, I think we've had first-hand experience where we worked for a previous agency that wanted to market itself based on the number of pages your website would have. Back then, that was still when Google's algorithm, the bots that they were using was still recognizing page numbers as a validation. Number of pages is now irrelevant. It's the, the richness yes. of the content. How meaningful and valuable that content is. Yeah, definitely. So just repeating the words, like for, if you're saying photographer, you say 
creative uh, wedding photographer, if you repeat that throughout your website, this, there's only so much that is going to achieve yep. until Google will then recognize, hang on a minute, this doesn't read like it's been written by a human. Yeah, just because just you're saying it, it doesn't mean it's right or, or useful. I think we mentioned in the pilot, actually, that we've been, been around for nearly three years now as a business, and we've changed, business models changed quite a lot, I think, over, over the last, certainly over the last sort of 18 months, two years. Yeah, because if we start from the beginning, if you think about where LunarWorks came from, we originally forged the business to deal with the incomplete projects from the previous agency that we worked for. And those were websites and platforms that we were building. Yeah. And you and I came to an agreement that we said, these projects are going to last us six months. Yeah. And if within six months, we don't pick up any new business or it's just not working, yeah, we'll launch these websites, hand off all the information and the assets that we have. Yep. And call it quits. Within about the first month, I think we realized we were onto something. Mm. And we realized we could actually do something different. Yeah, I think we I think we had a sort of a, an initial shared vision that kind of grew as we, you know, sort of started thinking about what could be. I think our kind of underlying ethics of the you know, the way we wanted to work, the people we wanted to work with <laughs> our experiences of working for agencies and big companies and that kind of thing, I think we kind of realised that we had an opportunity to do something different. And that kind of sparked and kept sort of leading us onto sort of thinking about the, the future a bit, didn't it, I think. I think sort of going back, we, we realised early on that there's a lot of competition around in sort of the web development space. Both the web and, and the design markets are very yeah. Uh, saturated. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, there's there's a lot of agencies out there of varying scales that can pump out websites that are fine in a smaller time frame and a lower budget than what we do based on the way we work and you know the way we build things. So we realised we couldn't compete with big agencies yeah and we shouldn't try to no because we're a small team and we didn't want to try and take on more work than we were capable of doing yeah stressing ourselves out working ourselves to the bone and not knowing when days start and finish yeah mentioned Kemp Foundation yes. talking about all these startups and young businesses that are, that are emerging yes and I suppose the question is how do we help startups are we right are we the right company for startups to consider because the technology that we talk about sounds very expensive yeah but when we actually sit down and talk with these people it really isn't no no I think the you know kind of going back to how we've changed as a business and kind of the growth periods we've gone through, we ideally want to work with those types of businesses, the, the startups, the people with ideas, that kind of thing. So our pricing model is actually ridiculously generous because we want to work with those types of people. I, I think it's fair to say you will struggle to find a cheaper price yeah. for the level of work that we are delivering. Yeah. Definitely. So, you know, I think the, the sort of thing that startups are looking for matches kind of our, our ethos and the way we work and that kind of thing. And, you know, we, we're not working on many projects at any one time. So the idea is for startups, we, we like that 
very collaborative sort of engagement we have with people. Um, you know, so we want to be working on a singular large scale project at any one time so we can become fully immersed. The people we're working with feel like we're part of the team. We want that kind of kind of relationship. Yeah, and the factor with startups is that the businesses haven't yet found their feet. Yep. They're, they have a strong idea, but they necessarily don't know where it's going to take them. Yes. And what we like to do actually is design website solutions that have that sort of phased approach to it. Yeah. They sort of meet that flexibility criteria, I think, because a lot of startups, like you say, through their their early years will will pivot and we have <laughs> yeah we have <laughs> so any any startup business is going to is going to go through one or more pivots let's be honest so what i think is really important is that any kind of business relationship you have supports that model and a lot of businesses in kind of the, the web and technology and design industries don't follow that model they're very much more uh, sort of an a to b approach i guess you could kind of call it where you know you sit down you have your discussions and you put forward a proposal and the project happens and then you walk away from each other and it's all lovely and then what happens is requirements change and there are difficult discussions and suddenly the people you were working with might not be available or somebody else has got to take over the project and that kind of thing. And we find this all the time that yeah. normally to cut their losses, the businesses will start from scratch. Yeah. And that's not always the best solution. Yeah. It, it can be costly, can't it? And, you know, both in terms of in time, money, manpower, you know, if a, if a startup is, is trying to get itself going and they've got to redo a lot of collaborative work with an agency, then they can't focus on growing their business, which isn't what they want to be doing. So I think what what we try to do is, instead of doing that sort of A to B approach where project comes in, project goes out, we try and work on a a more sort of long-term roadmap. So I guess you could say sort of instead of A to B, we go A to Z. So we want to reach that end goal, but with stops along the way. Yeah, and we stress to every client we meet, and we've even mentioned it in a number of articles, is that websites um, should always be evolving because yeah. the web is always evolving. Yeah, it's definitely. All, it's always getting more efficient, um, smarter, and you know, much more capable of all these things. And your website should be should be meeting that criteria yeah, as well. Definitely, I think it's um, there's a a really good sort of saying that that I remember from from, from the F1 world. And it's basically that if you're standing still, you're going backwards because everybody around you is moving. So you have to keep moving. And that can sound really overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. It's scary, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so what we try to do is we like to take the approach of saying that what are for a startup let's let's use a startup as an example and we try to say what are the minimum requirements for your website at this point in time what does your website need to do and uh we actually we're actually doing a website for a bakehouse yeah at the moment and the business is still figuring out what it is yeah and we started off by saying right we need to get your identity out there we need to make your presence known on the web 
let's put a holding page on your website. And a holding page is nothing more than your logo, a title explaining that a website is on its way. And if there are any inquiries or they want to follow us on social media, we'll put in a few links yeah, on that holding quick page. Quick newsletter sign up or something like that normally, yeah. Right. But the idea is that you're immediately establishing your presence. Yeah. You may not actually have a functioning website, but you're establishing your presence. Yeah. So following on from the holding page, we would then deliver a first iterative website, yeah. which would be for the bakehouse was going to be the equivalent of a portfolio website. Yeah, sort of like a catalogue. That sort of showcased the type of bakes that they did, uh, where they're based, where they've come from and uh, what they do. Yeah. And opportunities to get in touch via email, phone number, contact form. And the idea was that that would fulfill that criteria for the business as it existed at that time. Yeah. But since then, the business has actually grown even more. Yeah. So they've attended a few festivals in the local area. They've come to a few market stalls and they've gained a lot of popularity. Bring a lot more inquiries and that kind of thing come in the door. And so we realized that the website now needs to meet that level of requirement where people are wanting to view a catalog of, of all these bakes, but then place an order. Yeah. Make a request for that particular bake. And before before this idea of the website came forward, this bakehouse was doing it all on Instagram. Yeah. Saying um, in the bio description, saying, if you have any inquiries, just DM me. Yeah. And you're thinking, yeah, that is a possibility, but it's not as efficient as it yeah, could be. Yeah, it works on a level. But definitely. it is restricting a huge portion of that uh, company's market. Most definitely, yeah. So the idea of the website is is evolving from the idea of a pseudo Instagram website just showcasing all the bakes and yeah. saying if you want to place an order just send me an email or give me a call it's now evolving to the stage where people can actually specify the bakes that they want yep. directly on the website adding it to their order request and then sending off that request yeah. with an ideal delivery so those, those orders at the minute are they're not um, sort of e-commerce financial transactions they're, they're requests for an order because at this stage in the business's life they're such a small team that they can't handle constant orders coming yeah. in. They need to review every request that comes in yeah. and then respond by saying, we can make this day, we could deliver the bakes yeah. the day before or the day after. Or they might have to say, we simply can't do it during that period because we'll be attending a, a festival. Yeah, or well, we've got other bakes scheduled in or et cetera. So. Exactly. Yeah. So as the business grows, the website will grow with it. Yeah. So we anticipate that the next iterative version of the website will be a fully e-commerce website where orders will be coming in on a daily basis and they'll be processed and automatically um, sent through to the team. Yeah. And that is sort of the, the scale. The, yeah, sort of the end vision for the business in terms of certainly at the, the minute, that's the end vision. But the business may go in a, in a different direction. Yeah. They may exclusively do specialized bakes, but the idea of the website that we are delivering at this point in time leaves that op option open. Yeah. We are not restricting the business by building a website that can only do one thing and can't yeah. progress from there. So I think that's what's worth noting. Yes, yeah, so, so I guess kind of the, the, the key challenge with working with startups from our side is that there's so many variables. Putting together a plan that can that can handle that in the most efficient way, understanding that their direction might change, and trying to make sure that our model doesn't hurt them if they make some kind of decision. We don't want to be restrictive. Yeah. We want to leave the business in a strong position to grow. And this incremental approach helps 
that process. Yeah. Say, for example, this bakehouse, after the, the first sort of portfolio version of the website, the second phase, as it were. So if the first phase was the holding page and the second phase is this static website that only shows the pictures. Yeah, sort of catalogue. Then the client may very well choose to several ties with us there and then yep. and they are perfectly entitled to do that we wouldn't provide any restrictions on that we would complete the project and close it out yes we take that approach where what we're trying we're trying to help startups understand the long term up front I guess as well so what, what we see sometimes is a startup has a new idea or a feature that they had in mind but hadn't discussed and then when they go back to somebody and go, oh, we were thinking about doing this, they then get a new number in front of them and they go, oh, oh great, now we can't do that, we can't afford it, mm. or we haven't factored for that. Whereas what we try to do is talk very early on about those long-term visions to help people understand the timelines and costs involved to take out that unexpected, well, that element of surprise later on, I guess, to, to some extent, as, as best as we can. Because any designer, any developer will tell you that any projects that they take on rarely stay on schedule. Yeah. And we sat down and talked about why that is. And it's normally because these proposals and these projects are left open-ended and open-ended in the sense that they allow for change to happen midway through the process. And that throws a spanner in the works and everything starts snowballing from there. Yeah, there's sort of a vaguety and a, I think um, a lot of proposals, I remember when we started... We did quite a lot of research into into sort of proposals in, in our industry and it's incredible how much proposals are written to please. And I think there's a sort of a, a weird situation where it seems to be that agencies deliver what people ask for and just please them. Because a lot of people are told that you need to make a really good first impression. Yeah. But what we try to do is make the right first impression Yeah, because we're not here to mislead. We want to focus on what we can actually deliver. And whenever we put forward a deadline or a timeframe, we know it's accurate. Yeah. I think it's that kind of level of, there's, there's an assumption that the client understands exactly what they want. And sometimes that, that might be the case, but off, more often than not, when we actually speak to people and talk through a project, talk through a, a more long-term vision and that kind of thing, a lot falls out of the woodwork that then ends up on the table to be discussed. And I think that's 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 so much more important because it allows you to talk through all of those ideas properly. Again, sort of ultimately, you know, I don't I don't think it's it's happened very often where we've only put forward one solution to somebody. It might be that you know a biz, the business has a has a vision or a product they want to build. And actually we go, well, do you know what? There's there's a couple of ways we could do that. So here are your options kind of thing. Because we look at the brief that is sent to us or the problem that needs to be solved. And we think about the most effective way that is best suited for that company. Yes. So we don't, we don't just automatically always say, we're always going to deliver a website. Yeah. We're always going to make sure that it does X, Y, and Z. That's because every business is different. Yeah. And they want to meet certain deliverables. Definitely, yeah. And so we try to, we sorry, we look in detail at what it is the business is wanting to achieve. Yeah, so we'll, we'll then sit down and we'll shape a solution or solutions around those requirements. And it is a solution designed for that client. Yeah. 
it is not just a standard pick off the op- shelf. Yeah. Pick option B. You have that because yeah. that's not how an effective, efficient website will last. No. Because we when we build these websites, they are built to last. Yeah. Yeah. So we we don't offer packages for website builds. You know, starting from this price, you get twelve pages. Starting from this price, you get twenty. We want to sit down and talk with the decision makers, ask them what it is they want delivered. Yeah. So I think um, our sort of as, as well as how our our business model has changed over the years, there are certain sort of aspects of the business as well that have that have had to follow that. You're thinking of proposals. Yeah. <laughs> read my mind so so our proposals have changed quite a lot haven't they yeah yeah way back when we first started out our proposals were very technical very clinical yeah i think it's kind of it's kind of built around where we had the brand established at that point because we kind of wanted to be this um sort of quite clinical quite efficient sort of brand and we had obviously the the concept of lunar works and we're registered as lunar works lab so we kind of framed quite a lot of our our business around that kind of lab environment. So we wanted our proposals to be very sort of clinical. So you'd read them like a sort of science report that they were very sort of detailed and, and but to the point at the same time kind of thing. And while that sounds really nice in theory, in execution, it didn't work. No. And we realised that was a mistake. Yeah. Because when we would sit down and talk with the client and say, what did you think of the proposal? Most of the time they'd be like, we didn't actually read all of it. And it's probably because it was quite dry. Yes. Very, and like you say, very technical. Yeah. And so we thought, right, we've, this is clearly something that needs to be improved. Yeah. So we sat down and we went through it. We, we noted what are the, what are the restrictions that our current proposals are stating? And one of the examples was cost. Yeah. Is that that's always the elephant in the room. It's the first question that every client has. Definitely, yeah. So originally our cost breakdown was featured at the end of the proposal. So we thought we thought at first it was a nice way of tying off ending the proposal. Basically. Yeah, it kind of made sense to flow that way, didn't it? Because we had the phases that we go through on a project. And then once you'd gone through that, it then revealed how much it would cost. So it kind of it took you through the project journey. Yeah, I think... The cost is the elephant in the room. And I think when we sat down in meetings, you just observe people flicking to try and see what the budget is. And that's all that's on their mind at the time. Yeah, which is totally fair enough. Absolutely, because yeah. this is when when we sit down with them, we're talking about something that's drastically going to impact their business. They want to know how, how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost them. Yeah. And we thought, right, how do we address this client concern? And so we took the cost breakdown and brought it right to the front of yep. the proposal. It's almost, I think it's like the third page in after the table of contents. Yep. And not only did we bring the price forward, but we broke it down on a phase by phase basis. So we as a company work in a phased process. So there are six phases technically, Yep. but we start off at phase zero, which we call engage. And the idea of engage is where we sit down and meet with you and go through what it is you want doing. Yep. Have those initial discussions basically. Yeah. Get a good understanding for who you are, what your business does, where you want to take it and what it is you want us to do for you. And after phase zero, 
which is engage, we move on to the first phase, which is propose. And that's where we propose our solution. And that is tailored to the needs of your business. And that's where we break down the pricing, go through the proposal, sit down, talk about it, and you give us the go ahead or not. Yeah. And then phase two is research, where we're doing a hefty amount of research into the pain points of the business, the platform that we may be designing a solution for. Competitor analysis, yeah. Competitor analysis in a current method of providing information to clients, or to customers, sorry, based on the current website. Following on from research, phase three is then ideate, which is my realm. Yep. It's all about designing the best solution. So we'll go through our phase process in more detail in another episode, I think. But once we've got the final design in place, we then move on to the build phase, yep. phase four, which is your realm. Yep. And that's all about putting the design that I've created for for the solution and you're building it yep. from the ground bringing, up. Bringing the ideas to life and, and testing. Testing. Yep. Making sure everything is a-okay. And then the final phase is deliver, phase five. And that is where we've tested the website to the nth degree. It's all ready to go. We know it's going to work. We launch it. We have a final meeting with you and we close out the project. Yep. And we broke those phases down in a time frame and cost section of the proposal. And each phase has its own cost applied to it. Yeah, based and on the amount of work that has to go into building that solution. So we understood the concerns the clients had with our original proposals, and we designed a solution that addressed all those concerns. Yeah. And we thought it was the most effective way of delivering that. Yeah, definitely. I think the, the nice thing about that as well, that change we made is it helped it supported rather the the more iterative approach because it allowed us to then say okay well the the first iteration of the project is going to be a holding page so here's the phases and energy that needs to go into that and here's how much that's going to end up costing and then there's you know the the next phase sorry the next iteration where we're like you described earlier with the bakehouse then going to that first version of the full website so that's you know then the timelines and, and cost involved in getting to that point and that helps businesses break that down and and fit it in with their their finances yeah they can budget for it yeah and they yeah. might they might say we can only afford to do um, the first and second iteration of the website. Yeah. The third and fourth will have to come later. Yes. After the website has proven its worth. Yeah. And that is perfectly valid. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's all about having that that flexibility and underlining that process with how the business needs to grow. The the other thing that we did initially with our proposals was we had a, a proceeding step which we called a project scope. So the idea of that was what we found a lot of the time was with this process of startups having to change and a lot of things changing from a proposal to actually what ends up being designed and, and delivered, what we wanted to do to start with was get everything sort of shored up upfront so that we didn't have that change. Uh, that obviously, looking back on it now, that was the wrong approach, which is why we now support that changeable model. But we introduced a, a project scope, which happened before the proposal. And the idea of that was that basically we would put down a list of deliverables and, and the sort of the, the goals that the client wanted. 
and they would then we'd then sort of sign that off and say yes this is what we want and that would then form the basis of the proposal and I think that it kind of got in the way we realised that the problem we were trying to solve was just creating more problems yes yeah because we we have to allow five to seven working days for us to write a proposal because they're extensive they're yeah. bespoke and we go into detail on certain aspects that the client cares about yeah with the project scope we sort of wanted to use it as an opportunity to have a meeting debrief to make sure that the client is aware we've understood what it is they're after and that we are in the process of delivering a proposal for them to review and approve yeah it's sort of a stopgap wasn't it it was yeah it was to keep keep the fire burning mm. but we realized that it was if anything wasting time yeah so we dropped it yeah i think again coming back to what's the the first thing people want to know it's how long is it going to take and what's it going to cost and i think what we what we were ultimately doing was saying this is definitely what you're after right yeah and they're going we had this discussion i just need a proposal yeah like, yeah that looks good to me <laughs> yeah. just waiting on the proposal now okay. and we were like well we just make, want to make sure it's not going to change because otherwise then the timeline cost is going to be wrong but i think yeah where, where we are now is much better suited to to that sort of approach we've described than, than where we were back then. I think another thing to note actually is the first versions of the proposals that we made, we would um, deliver them to the client when we had the first meeting with them. So it was sort of like bombarding them with all this new information and reading it through in this very dry yeah, document. Yeah. And so they probably felt quite overwhelmed. And in order to make progress, they needed to go away and think about it and digest what it was we talked about yeah and we realized that this was delaying the project this there was because there was a danger of the deadline not being met because sometimes they'll need a week or two yeah to think about this businesses are busy so exactly so since then we've actually restructured it where we will send the proposal ahead in advance yeah a couple of days prior and we advise the clients to have a read through it and um any questions that they have will happily answer them during the sit down meeting we have with them where we go through the proposal yeah but that focuses that initial meeting on just talking about answering questions that they have that haven't been addressed in the proposal yes so rather than us going through the proposal together yeah we've done that separately and then we come together and are already moving forward yes definitely yeah ultimately trying to be more efficient yeah Awesome. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah, sounds good. Oh, actually, before we go, what is it we're going to be covering in the next episode? So we're going to be talking a bit more about sort of industry growth. Okay. So we tried to cover sort of business growth and change this time. And the idea about our next podcast is to talk a bit about how industries are changing and how that sort of affects businesses working in those industries and that kind of thing. And we'll be talking a little bit about PWAs. Yeah, talk a bit more about PWAs. And what they are and how they work. And yeah, hopefully whether or not understanding if they're right for your business. Yeah, definitely. Sort of how the design and technology industries have changed in particular, I guess. Yeah. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, see you next time then. Yeah, see you next time. Okay.